Welcome to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Hey, welcome to this month's podcast. Uh, we are in part two of a, of a subject we're calling Responding to Being Needy. Now, if you didn't listen to last month's podcast, I'm going to ask you to stop and go back and listen to it because I'm not going to have time to be able to give you all of that content because there's, much, there's a bunch of new content I want to give you this month. But let me recap very, very briefly. Last month, we talked about the fact that God made man needy. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And, 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 and in Genesis, he showed us that there was a way for God to meet these relational needs that he himself chose not to meet in our life. Even though Adam had an amazing relationship with God where they talked in the cool of the day, God said it's still not good for you to be alone. So there were needs in man that could not be met by a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that God couldn't have chosen to do that. But God made man with relational needs that he himself has chosen not to be able to meet. And so we found that there are all, we all have relational needs. We named them last month, and there are 11 of them. There's actually more, but these are the categories that all of us need acceptance, approval, respect, encouragement, affection, attention, security, significance, appreciation, comfort, and support. We talked about how God intended our homes to be the first place where we get those met through a mom and a dad. We talked about how those being environments that the enemy is so attacked that most of us go into life with those genuine God-given needs being so unmet that we go into life with deficits. We're told then to leave our parents and to cleave to our spouse as the primary source now of getting those intimacy needs met. But what often happens is we go into our marriages into our relationships, and into our leadership with inordinate deficits that no marriage, that no person, that no organization, that no success of any kind can match or meet. Only Jesus can heal the deficits in a person's soul. And in the absence of God doing that work inside me, inside of you, you will, you will bring unsustainable weight to your marriage and to your relationships, and even to your leadership. And you will set yourself up for failure every single time. Now, here's what we found out, is that since we all have needs, then we all respond to having needs. Now, we can respond to having those needs met in a healthy way. We can respond to having deficits, of which we all do, in a healthy way. We can get before God. We can grow spiritually. We can become accountable to one another. We can feed upon the Word of God. We can have the kind of relationships that help us unpack the lies that we believe. Remember this, almost all relational pain in our lives that's un, that, that is unbroken, that just keeps going on and on with two people that don't want it to be there, but it just keeps happening. Almost always it's a result of lies that someone is believing. Lies that govern the way you believe and live your life. When you believe a lie, it brings destruction. It brings imprisonment. Truth makes you free. A lie imprisons you. And so the knowledge of the truth, once you come to Christ, is critical for you to live in freedom. So all of us know we have deficits. All of us know lies about God, about ourselves, about who God says we are, about what God says we can do, about the purpose of our life, on and on and on. All of us know that we, have not, we don't have perfectly formed beliefs in our heart about how God sees all of those issues. But as we grow spiritually, 
Spiritual growth is simply when what the Word of God says begins to govern my life. When my inward man, full of the Word of God, begins to gain the ascendancy over the outer man. When I learn to delight in the law of God, as Romans says, after the inward man. In the absence of that path of spiritual growth, there will be three unhealthy responses you have to being needy. And they're not just going to affect your relationships, of which I'm going to touch on briefly. This month, I want to talk to you about how they affect your leadership. So here's the three basic ways that people respond to being needy. The first one is people are self-reliant, or they say, I don't have any needs. When I read that list, you likely said, I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm okay without that. And so you've learned to live in this wonderful world of denial. You've become self-reliant. I, don't, I know God said I, has, I have needs. I know God said that he won't meet those needs, that he created people for those needs. But I'm different. I'm not like other people. I'm stronger than other people. I'm not, I, I don't have relational needs. I'm okay just like I am. That, my friend, is an utter deception. And it is a self-reliant way to operate and to deal with having needs. God made you needy. In fact, he told us in Scripture that he did. The second way you can do it is, is just simply be selfish. You acknowledge that you have needs, but then you acknowledge everyone else on the planet exists to meet those needs. And the third one is self-condemningly, is you don't believe you're good enough to have your needs met. I want to delve into each one of these today. Let me start with selfish. Let me talk to you about how responding to having needs, intimacy needs in your life, if you respond to them instead of in the former manner of which we spoke by getting in God's word and growing and, and, and the like, but if you respond simply acknowledging you have needs but dealing with them selfishly, let me talk to you about how that's going to impact your relationships. Very quickly, if you're married, it's going to mean that you're welcome and free and full of understanding that you have needs, but you're going to demand that your spouse, spouse live their life centered around everything you want and everything you need. Every conversation will end up about you. Every problem will end up about you. Every need will be about you. And eventually, you will resent your partner for having needs because it will have to, everything will revolve around you. Now, most people don't get married and say, hey, let me be stupid and destroy my marriage. I'll be a selfish pig and ruin my life. Is it safe to say that none of us would choose to do that? But when we don't know how to deal with these issues in our life, when we don't know how to deal with the deficits of not having our relational needs met, or we try to deal with having our needs met in an ungodly or sinful way, we actually bring damage to the very things that we love. Now, it's obvious how that would affect a marriage. It's obvious how that would affect a parent or a friendship. But here's how it affects a leader, is that you will begin to need to have everything Everything in, in your organization revolve around you. It has it will be about your wants, your needs, your perspective only. You'll delegate to those people that you believe will make their focus to make you happy, not for the betterment of the organization. You will be blinded by your own needs and your own wants. And it will cause you to actually be limited to see for others. See, these responses are blinding. 
None of us expect someone who's dealing with the physical challenge of blindness to see. You would never go to a person who was, who was physically blind and hand them a book that wasn't in Braille and said, hey, I'd like you to read this to me. You would never form that expectation. But when somebody responds to having needs selfishly, now we can all be selfish. I get that. I'm talking about a primary way that you've learned to respond to having needs. You will become toxic and you will become destructive. Now, you might have success. Your, your church, your ministry may be very successful, but there will be toxicity around you and it will emanate from you. And you will create a, a focus not to Jesus, not to the outcome of the gospel, but a focus to you. And you will innately want everything to make sure that your needs are satisfied and gratified. You'll struggle to give any kind of credit away. You'll, be very, you'll have a great tendency to be very quick to blame, but very, very slow to encourage and to thank. You'll become very thankless. You'll find all the faults and problems in people, but you'll ra- rarely catch them doing things right. The only time you'll talk to people is when you think there's something wrong and something that bothers you. And before long, when, someone, when they see you coming, they cringe. And by the way, if that's how you live your life, I've got news for you. That's how your spouse feels as well. And people don't cringe forever. They usually deal with it. And they usually deal with it by getting their needs met somewhere else. That could be another relationship. It could be a divorce. Or it could just be living in misery the rest of your life. The second way that we deal with having needs in an unhealthy way is through self-reliance. And boy, can, is, is that devastating to a marriage. Is that the only thing you, you will want from your spouse are the things that you determine are appropriate needs for you. And by the way, the only thing you will give them is what you think are appropriate needs for them. You won't let them define what they need. You will define what they need because if you're self-reliant, so should they be. And it will cause you to, to be withdrawn from your spouse, to cause you to be in the same room yet be isolated, to never open up your heart, to never have real deep discussions, to be somewhat superficial about the intimacies of life and relationships. And you really won't work through others well. When you're self-reliant, you, you typically will only give tasks to people. You won't give authority. You won't give ownership to people. You become a lid to the organization in that people with gifts and talents will have to move beyond you in your organization to be able to use those talents. You're going to always want people around, around you that will work at a level that you think is superficial. You won't give significant responsibility to people and trust them. You'll, you'll have to be in everything. You'll have to have your hand in everything. This is if you're a pastor where you have to be at every meeting and no one can make a decision without you. If, to the extent that I've seen people get so self-reliant that they can't even trust someone to go figure out how much to spend on rock salt to put on the sidewalks when it's icy outside. Now, for those of you that are in Florida listening to this, all of us from the North, we hate you, but Jesus loves you. And we, we realize you don't have to understand what rock salt is. But in heaven, we just pray that you're freezing at least for a thousand years. Now, listen, I'm just kidding, okay? Just, just teasing you. 
Self-reliance in an organization is deadly. And if you're self-reliant, guess who's going to surround you? Self-reliant people. People who don't want other people involved. People who don't want to build teams. People that don't want to, to work through others. Here's the reality. We know that we are, our, our call is defined. If you were to put our call into a sentence in ministry, it's to work through others. The call of, the, of a pastor, the call of anyone in ministry, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, whether it be teaching or pastoral, is to prepare God's people to do the work of ministry. We're actually called to be coaches, not players. Imagine a football team with one player. I don't care if they're the best player in the world, they lose. A high school football team. A high school, in fact, a bad high school football team will crush the best athlete in the world. Crush them if they play by themselves in a football game. They'll crush them. They'll destroy them. Because you are never good alone. You're a part of the body. Self-reliance is a rejection of the body of Christ. Self-reliance is not discerning the Lord's body. Self-reliance is when you say, I don't need the other parts of the body of Christ. I don't need the gifts in other people. I I have enough. I can be the hand, the foot, the elbow, the ear, the kidney, the heart, the eyeball, and the chin. And so self-reliance is destructive. The third one, which is self-condemningly, is perhaps the, the, the one that's most destructive to the individual that has it. The self-condemning person responds to being needy by saying this, I'm not good enough to have my needs met. There's, there's something wrong with me. This is a person who lives in shame. This is a person that believes the worst about themselves. This is a person that believes that the horrible things that may have been said about them or the thoughts that came to them when horrible things happened to them. This is a person that will presume the worst in others, and their presumption will be that you're going to reject me. Now, if you lead an organization and you're self-condemning, you will absolutely hate feedback because you will see every, every point of feedback as a rejection. You will begin to presume the worst in other people. Let me give you an example. A self-condemning person, you may be married to someone like this. You may be this person. You get in your car and you're going to an event, and it's, a, it's some type of dinner, and, and there's 7 to 20 couples there. And you come into the room. Here's what the self-condemning person does. They're immediately looking for who won't talk to them. Someone who looks at them and then looks away. They assume they saw me and ignored me. The night's over, and every time you go out with your spouse, here's the debriefing on the way home. You get in the car, and the first thing you say is who was mean to you? Who didn't like you? Who wasn't nice to you? Who ignored you? Who would said something horrible to you? that you tried to talk and they overspoke you, spoke over you. And you will absolutely presume the worst in people. You will project lies upon the thought, lights of, thought lives of other people. You have sentences like this. Do you know what they were thinking? I know when they looked at me, they were thinking this. Now, if you really were going to be honest, that's a, crazy, that's a crazy statement, isn't it? I know what they were thinking. They were thinking this. And you know what that means? That, and before long, you're seven generations away from reality, but you believe every word of it. The self-condemning person 
tries to find their happiness in other people's heads. An old-time minister that many of you will know, Lester Summerall, said this, never try to find your happiness in other people's heads. You'll never find it there. If you're self-condemning, you will always, always, always struggle to trust other people. And by the way, if you're self-condemning, you probably married somebody selfish because they confirm that you're not worth having your needs met. Isn't it interesting that we not only attract our opposite, we attract the opposite of our unhealthiness often. Very often, the selfish person will find innately the self-condemning person because they constantly confirm that I'm better than you, that my needs are more important than you. And the self-condemning person will agree. If you're a pastor, you've been through difficulties with people you'd prefer to forget. Sadly, I've been to the emergency room where you see a woman whose jaw is broken and a man broke her jaw with a punch, and the police are there, and they want her to file charges. And here's what she says. It wasn't his fault. I made him mad. Deep down, he's a really nice person. Now, all the dads that are hearing this, thinking if that's my daughter, I would say deep down, he will, really will be a nice person nice person, at least six feet under deep ground. But here's the reality. The self-condemning person isn't good enough to have their needs met. And so they're willing to tolerate behaviors that are absolutely lethal. And again, if you're that self-condemning person, it's likely you found the selfish person to marry. And you get further and deeper into the dark. And here's the selfish person. Eventually, they lose respect for you because they want somebody with a voice, but they actually don't. They want somebody who will give them what they want. And then two people end up destroying each other because neither one are healthy. And when we do try to affect a conversation and we do try to come to some type of resolution, we often try to convert the other person to our level of unhealthiness. If you're the self-condemning person in an organization, you're often going to give a false picture to people. You're going to tell them what they want to hear, not the truth. You're going to lie to people, even though you don't really believe you're lying, but you will. Because you don't want to hurt somebody, so you can't tell the truth. You've come to believe, if you're self-condemning, that lying is a virtue. Because if I don't hurt your feelings, I'd rather lie to you than to have to deal with uh, the, the potential of you rejecting me because I said something to you that you didn't like. Most self-condemning people are passive-aggressive when they respond to conflict. You'll never know they're unhappy, but inside, they carry amazing repositories of anger. And let me tell you, if you are a person that is interacting with a self-condemning person, when they snap, God help you. When that, when that dam breaks, I would not want to be on the other side of it. See, all of us have needs. All of us have unhealthiness. All of us have a tendency to respond to having needs in an unhealthy way. All of us may have fallen into selfishness or self-reliance or self-condemningness at times in our life. Some of us are rooted in these. Here's my hope today as we close, that you'll be honest with yourself and get ask some questions. Listen to this together with your spouse or somebody that, that you're accountable to and be willing to delve into the reason and the questions of why. Why? Do I respond selfishly or self-reliantly or self-condemningly? And if you'll go on that journey and let God deal with your heart and make you whole, it will change the way you lead. It will change the way 
you treat people and enable people and and release people in, into authority and into mission. It will cause things around you to lurch forward. So this last two months podcast, I know it's been a little bit deeper than just simple and typical leadership lessons, but my hope is that you can delve into some of these things and truly live in freedom. Because if you're like me, I look back over all these years of ministry and how I wish I would have known the things I know today. And this podcast is about trying to get you there farther and faster. Try to get you there without the potholes to help you to miss a couple of valleys that I'd love to see you miss. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this and look forward to catching up with you next month. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Your reviews expand our reach. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take time to rate and review us. We look forward to having you with us on the next episode of the John Muzo Leadership Podcast.